Peace of Christ be with you. It's wonderful to have you here on this in-gathering Sunday. I don't know if you saw all the people working in the other building and in the, in the kitchen and in Finley Hall setting up for our, our lunch, our brunch after the service. I hope you can stick around for that. I wonder if they signed up to help so they could get out of the service. I'm not sure. About that. Anyway, it's wonderful to have you here. As we settle into this place and as pe- people continue to come in, let's slow down, ground ourselves in this place and in this moment take three deep breaths that we might recognize the presence of the Spirit in us and among us and all around us. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. Standing or sitting, let us join in the call to worship. <clears throat> Reveal yourself to us, O God. Reveal the truth about our own ways. Reveal your wisdom and your justice. be seated. Welcome to Westminster. It's good to be with you today in worship. 
If you're new or visiting with us, a special welcome to you. Rob already mentioned an invitation to our in-gathering brunch after worship. That's going to be all over in the patio and Finley Hall and the playground, so we hope to see you there. Let's join together now in our community prayer. Let us pray. In the voice of the prophets, O God, you call us back to you. You call us back with ourselves. You hold up a standard of communal life. In your expectations for us, may we recognize love. In the voice of your messengers, O God, you greet us with grace. You offer mercy where we fall short. You extend compassion where we struggle. In your forgiveness and in your accountability, may we be transformed by your love. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, know that our God is a source of ever-flowing, unconditional love. And in Christ, we are forgiven. We are given strength to start anew each and every day. Thanks be to God. Amen. As we continue with our time of prayer and our joys and concerns, I have just a couple to lift up. Uh, first, when uh, one of our church members arrived for the 8.30 service, he stopped and he asked me, what were you doing 21 years ago? And it was telling that I knew exactly why he was asking me 21, and I knew exactly what I was doing, right? September 11th, 2001. And so uh, in our time of prayer, certainly we pray, we continue to pray for the family and friends of those who lost their lives that day. We continue to pray for each one of us, as each one of us certainly was changed by that day. In addition, in our time of prayer, our uh, mission team to Kentucky is, that well, they're leaving at various times. Some of them are leaving at the end of this week. Some of them are leaving next Sunday. But we certainly want to hold them in our prayers. I know that several of you are here today. So I invite those of you who are going on that trip just to stand briefly that we may pray for each one of you. So we have Lyndon and Carol and Amy and Christina and Rob. And in addition, we pray for Forrest and Deb and Evelyn and Peter and Marilyn. Just know that, yes, there we go, absolutely. You may be seated. This team headed to Kentucky to help rebuild following the destruction of the tornadoes there. And know that as you all go, you certainly go with our prayers. And next week you will be in our prayers regularly. So now, let's hear from you all. What's on your heart and mind today that we should be holding in prayer? Yeah, Nancy. September 1st, uh, Hill and I celebrated our 70, 59th wedding. Wow, 59! 
in case you couldn't hear, an answer was celebrating. She and Hale celebrated their 59th wedding anniversary. Others? Joys and concerns to share? Yeah, Bev. Yeah, Bev prays for her. Mom, who's 97 years old, has been having a series of health challenges, so we hold her in prayer. Yeah, Susan. I have a joy. You can't believe how big of a joy this is. Um, I got my car back on Thursday. Uh huh. Susan shares a joy. She dropped her car off for servicing last December. Did I hear you right? Last December, and I couldn't get the part, and she finally got her car back. That's a joy. Others, yeah, Carol. Uh, Carol lifts up. Okay, so first, uh, Carol prays for a friend, Larry, who was in the ICU for quite a long time and is now on his way back to health. Uh, Second, uh, Anita Lowe, a church member who has had COVID and is now recovering. Um, Third, she lifts up Mary Mosteller, who was traveling in Seattle, um, fell and broke her hip. Um, so it's going to have surgery up there and then hopefully be able to return home soon. While we're talking about hips, I would also include one of our new Westminster members, Bruce Vieira, who is going to have a hip replacement tomorrow. So we hold him in our prayers as well. Others? Yeah, Barbara. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. So uh, to our prayers for Bruce Barsa, Barbara also adds her daughter Morgan, uh, who's experienced some autoimmune issues, um, so much so that she's even having trouble like opening doors. Um, and then we celebrate with Barbara. She finished her postdoc work just last week and had scheduled many moons ago to take off a couple of weeks. And how fortuitous, now that many close to you are, are needing your help and assistance. So perhaps not the restful two weeks you had promised, but how nice you can be available to them. Yeah. Let's take just a couple moments of quiet as we hold all of these prayers and then we'll share in the Lord's Prayer together. So let us pray. Holy God, you call to us from the depths of our hearts where we long for connection with you and with one another. You call to us from busy streets and neighborhoods where human longing and possibility are most urgent. 
You call to us here in our time of worship, where you create, where you challenge, where you comfort. And hear us now, O God, as together we share the prayer that your Son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. invite the children who are worshiping with us to join me here at the front. Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. So I'm curious if you all have ever heard of the tradition when you're trying to remember something, like say you know you have a, you promised you were going to do something, or you have somewhere you need to be, and you're maybe you're worried that you're going to forget. Have you ever heard of the tradition of tying a piece of string around your finger to help you remember? 
Yeah, a couple of you. Or, or tying a piece of paper around your finger. There you go. I, I must admit, I've never actually done it, um, but I've heard... Cause I, oh, that is not true. Rob said, because I never forget anything. I don't know about that. I, myself, I like to make lists to remember things. I am a big list maker. I always thought about the string. If I had it tied around my finger, I would knew I was supposed to remember something, but what was it that I was supposed to remember? Um, but I have heard for some people that it helps. You see that string, you're like, oh, that's right. I was going to whatever it might be. Yes. Is that true? Your brain can hold a thousand more things than a computer? Or a hundred? Something like that? Our, uh, the human brain is pretty powerful. Yeah. <laughs> You've never met my brain. <laughs> uh, so, I was thinking, there's all kinds of stuff that we need to remember throughout the day. So, my gosh, it's good our brains can hold a lot. But I think maybe one of the most important things to remember is not a task or something we have to do or somewhere we have to be, but one of the most important things to remember is how much we are loved, how much God loves us. I think that is something that we can remember every single day. So, I was thinking, how can we help people remember how much God loves them? Maybe these people out here. So I was thinking we, instead of wrapping our finger in string, we could wrap the congregation in string. Most of them at least. We're, we're, we're going to attempt to wrap this, this crowd right here. Those of you who aren't in this crowd know that you are wrapped metaphorically as well, okay? <laughs> so I have no idea if this is going to work, but we're going to try because I like to experiment. So here's my thought, okay? I, it is, it's a lot of strings, so I, I have hope. So I need a couple of volunteers. Okay, you're going to take this, all right? Okay, hold on. And you're going to stand up, okay? And you're going to hold this, okay? Just hold it, okay? And what you're going to do is just walk all the way around over there till you get to the back, okay? And then you got to let the string out. If you, if you want to help her, that's fine. There we go. Perfect. Okay, just keep going. Keep walking. Keep walking. All right, now, who else said they might help, would help me? Okay. You are helping. Yeah, okay. So, Owen, would you hold this side? Okay. And Brandon, would you walk? All right. See, I have no idea if this is going to work. And then you guys are going to meet, okay? And we're going to wrap, keep it nice and loose, because we don't like, we don't want to take off Ruthie's legs here, okay? <laughs> so nice and loose, there we go, okay. This maybe isn't loose enough. We're going to take off Jeff's arm in a second. All right, and there we go. Okay, okay, so this is working all right. All right, then you guys are going to meet in the back and just leave the string back there, okay? And then you can come join us, all right? So look at that. Just like we can wrap a finger to help us remember. Brandon, keep it nice and loose. Oh, did you guys meet? Perfect. Okay, so now just, just drop it on the floor right back there, and we'll worry about that later. Okay. Oh, oh, God, you guys are getting even... I don't know if you can tie it, because I don't have any scissors to cut it off. But perfect. All right, see? You can just leave it on the floor. So now, look, instead of wrapping our finger... Here, I can tie it together. Here. We wrapped the whole congregation, well, most of the congregation, and now they can remember when they see this string how much they are loved by God. But here's the deal. We're going to leave the sanctuary eventually. We're not going to sleep here. So there are other ways we can remember how much we're loved by God. One way that y'all are going to hear about in your Sunday school classes today is whenever we see a rainbow in the sky. 
God actually specifically told the people, when you see a rainbow in the sky, that's a reminder of how much I love you. And I bet there are lots of other ways. Sometimes when I just see a friendly face who smiles at me, that's a reminder to me of how much God loves me. So I encourage you this week to think about all the ways that you are reminded about God's love. Be it string, be it rainbow, be it a smile, be it something else, all right? So, sure, why not? A silly face, what a great reminder, all right? So we're gonna leave the string as it is and we're gonna head out to Sunday school, all right? Go now in peace, go now in peace, may the love of God surround you everywhere, everywhere you may go. The first scripture reading is Jeremiah 4, verses 11 and 12, then 22 through 28. Listen for what the Spirit is saying. At that time it will be said to this people and to Jerusalem, a hot wind comes from me out of the bare heights in the desert toward my poor people, not to winnow or cleanse, a wind too strong for that. Now it is I who speak in judgment against them. For my people are foolish, they do not know me. They are stupid children, they have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil, but do not know how to do good. I looked on the earth, and lo, it was waste and void, and to the heavens, and they had no light. I looked on the mountains, and lo, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and lo, there was no one at all, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and lo, the fruitful land was a desert, and all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will not make a full end. Because of this the earth shall mourn, and the heavens above grow black. For I have spoken, I have purposed, I have not relented, nor will I turn back. This is holy wisdom, holy word. And a gentle reminder to mind the string when you do leave today. I would hate for you to be tripped up by God's love on your way out of the sanctuary. The second reading comes from the New Testament epistle of 1 Timothy. Chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. Listen for the Spirit, the breath of God, speaking through these words to us today. I'm grateful to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason I receive mercy, so that in me, 
as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him to eternal life, for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This too is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. The prompt on the social media platform Facebook read simply, what advice would you give to your 16-year-old self in four words? The first response I saw came from a musician I know who wrote, practice, practice, practice. We're not very good at directions. Just four words. Practice, practice, practice. Perhaps you're familiar with that uh, Far Side cartoon, if you remember the humor of Gary Larson, and he had a, a comic, uh, and it's a picture of a building that says, School for the Gifted on top, and there's a child pushing with all his force on the door that says in big, bold letters, Pull. <laughs> we're just, we're not so good at directions. The other day, Jesus, our sexton, pointed out to me that we have to be careful about where we place the candles because if they go right beneath one of the beams, they blacken the wood. And I thought, no problem. We'll just put a little, little placards here or here and here or wherever it's safe, knowing so people know they can place the candles there. But then I thought, how good are we at following directions? I don't know about you. I mean, I blow through them all the time. Well, while we're on the subject of, of candles, I started my doctorate in Philadelphia at a Lutheran seminary, and one of the things I learned from the Lutherans is that it's, it's common, standard even, I guess you'd say, in Lutheran churches to have two candles on opposite sides of the altar. If you've attended a Lutheran church, you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, but wait till after the sermon. Now, we don't have an altar in the Presbyterian Church. We have a table, but in the Lutheran Church, it's an altar, and they have two candles, and they've come to represent something quite significant. Does anybody know what they represent in the Lutheran tradition? Bargain basement menorah. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a bargain basement menorah, but good guess. Uh, they represent law and gospel, or judgment, commandments, Law and mercy, forgiveness, redemption, right? That's not, of course, how it started. Does anybody know how the tradition started? Well, it started before there were electric lights. And the reality was it just so happened it took about two candles worth of light on your standard bargain altar to illuminate it enough for the priest to read the liturgy. And it was only the law and gospel meeting that was added later. Just like, and we do this too, not to rag on the Lutherans. Well, we should rag on the Lutherans maybe a little bit. <laughs> I'm wearing a black robe, which has come to represent in the Presbyterian and the Reformed tradition scholarship, the life of the mind, the appreciation of the intellect. It started because, Luther, because Calvin was a lawyer, and what he had in his closet was a black robe. We add meaning to things, which doesn't make that meaning any less so, but that's how meaning comes to be. Well, given that the candles have come to mean that for some of our sisters and brothers in the, in the faith, to which candle would you gravitate if I had to 
have you choose? How many of you, I wonder, would I assume that most of you would gravitate to this candle, the mercy, the gospel candle of forgiveness? I mean, who among us has not had a misstep, done or said things we wish we hadn't, or failed to do or say things we wish we had? And wouldn't we all want on the other side of that, on the accounting side of that, to be forgiven, to, to experience some force of mercy, to say it's okay? Would any of you go toward the candle of law? Now, come on, there are attorneys in this congregation. I hope you all respect the law. I know it's civil versus faith, but work with me. I mean, wouldn't we understand on some level that peoples are held together by laws, whether you're talking civilly or certainly in the faith of God's law is revealed in, in the scriptures. Jesus, remember, said he came to fulfill the law. We recognize that that somehow brings an order to how people relate to one another, some standards of behavior in conduct. Wonder which side folks would choose. It's easy to take the two readings you heard today and likewise attribute the two candles analogy to them. Take the first that fiery, pun intended, reading from Jeremiah hits a little too close to home, frankly, after the last week we had in that incredible heat wave and now the new fires breaking out. The prophet Jeremiah says, a hot wind comes from me. I know the feeling. Often when I preach, people accuse me of that. <laughs> a hot wind comes from me out of the bare heights in the desert toward my poor people. Not to winnow and cleanse, a wind too strong for that. Now it is I who speak in judgment against them. The prophet calls them stupid. Does he not? Stupid children. God is angry for how the people have not fulfilled the law. Feels like that candle, doesn't it? And now take the second. The writer of 1 Timothy is expressing instead this incredible gratitude to Christ Jesus for giving strength and for judging him faithful, even though he was guilty. A blasphemer, a persecutor, a man of violence, these things that are so not of either the law or of Christ, still judged innocent because of the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Note, by the way, it's the faith and love of Christ, not the faith and love of the believer that makes the difference. We get that backwards almost all the time in the church. So which would you choose of the two candles of the two readings? Well, of course, by now you know it's a false choice. It's one light, two forms, one God, even one love that shows up in two ways. Wait a minute, how could it show up in that judgment of prophet calling the people stupid? You can't tell me you haven't seen people in your years acting stupid. And most of us, if we were honest, would admit that it would apply to us at times. 
even if it's easier to admit the other one, this affinity for mercy and grace. And moreover, the binary that's drawn there and often attributed to the angry, old, wrathful Old Testament God and the loving, kind, warm, and sweet New Testament God is a false one. I was out for a run this week, and I was listening to Eastern Orthodox theologian, as one does when one runs. Uh, I was in a weird mood. Uh, a guy named David Bentley Hart, and he's written a, a sweeping history of Christianity called The Story of Christianity. It's a wonderful book. And as I was running, he was recounting the life of the second century figure Marcion. I don't know if that name rings a bell to you or not. But Marcion, in many ways, gave birth to the two gods way of speaking between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know, there weren't testaments at the time. There were readings among the Jews, and there were some new readings coming up, but there was no canon at the time. But he knew of the Torah, and he said the scriptures should be, what he counted as sacred, should be portions of the Gospel of Luke once he'd fixed it, primarily by removing the pieces that made Jesus seem too Jewish. Didn't want to relate to that Old Testament God. And some of the letters of Paul, and that's it. That should make up sacred scripture for followers of Jesus. It, in fact, it was in part in response to Marcion that the church got together and decided they needed to form an official canon, an official Bible, and it had to be much wider than the one that Marcion advocated for it and also officially declared Marcionism is a heresy of the church. If you read the second scripture, if you listen to that carefully, you even heard the author of 1 Timothy saying, only one God. It doesn't say the New Testament God. One God, one light, one love, showing up in different forms depending on what people need. And despite what many of us have spent our vocation doing, you still hear the two gods language in the church all the time. And whenever I do, I try to point out that there's far more mercy and grace in the Old Testament than we remember or ever learned. And there's far more wrath and judgment in the New Testament than we would care to admit. Take this passage from Psalm 103, Old Testament. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. It takes a while. In abounding in steadfast love, God will not always accuse, nor will God keep God's anger forever, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. The anger comes, but it's fleeting, but the steadfast love, eternal. And conversely, it's in the New Testament from the mouth of Jesus that we first hear of eternal punishment in fire. That's Jesus, not Old Testament. There's plenty of judgment and accountability in the New Testament, some of it as harsh as the hot wind of the prophets. And there's plenty of balm and soothing and mercy in the Old Testament as sweet as any words of Jesus. You need them both. Too much of one risks becoming cruel and harsh and uncaring, and too much of the other runs the risk of being dismissive of injustice in hurtful behavior 
And that just creates more victims in pain. They have to be held together. Of that notion, Walter Brueggemann, the great Old Testament scholar, writes this in a prayer entitled, On Reading Jeremiah 4, this very passage. We do not live by bread alone, but by your word. So we thank you for your word that you have spoken in time of need with deep assurance. That you have spoken in times of complacency with deep threat. Comfort the afflicted, afflict the comfortable, as the Jesuits have said. All of God's word is necessary. Both a critique that feels like threat and the assurance that feels like a healing salve. The trick in the spiritual life is to figure out which one we need at which moment, we as individuals and we as a people. Because the tendency is to be drawn to the one you actually don't need. Time and again, I'll encounter people who don't think much of themselves. Life has been difficult for them and on them, maybe to their own fault, but often not of any of their own doing. But they feel like it is such. And so what do they rush toward? Judgment. I must not be good enough. I must not measure it up. This must be my fault. God must think I've failed. They run and they cling to judgment. And others who I meet think of themselves quite highly. Their life has been good. They think it's all of their own doing. Things may have been given to them, but they're happy to take credit. And they look down at others and wonder what their problem is. And they rush right toward assurance that they're good and deserving and all of this is because of what an angel they are. No thought that maybe there's a little bit of critical reflection they could offer to their life of where they might have misstepped or where they might have been given something not of their own doing. The trick is which do you need in which moment? In which do we need at which moment? Today's our annual in-gathering. The temptation, this is when we sort of begin the year in earnest, our program year, school comes back in session. And the tendency is to only give out assurance, this candle over here, sweetness. You're okay, you're okay, you're okay. But those of us who want to be serious about the spiritual journey know that we actually need both voices. Yes, that you are loved, and that you are held to some standard in this world, that we are to conduct ourselves in a certain way to build up the kingdom and the community of God. Otherwise, we just give out saccharine theology that doesn't get you very far and doesn't plant in you very deep joy, if that's what you're after, either. We need both mercy and accountability. Andrea and Stephen Levine spent decades of their life working with people to foster what they describe as conscious living and conscious dying. And on their website, which is noted in your bulletin if you want to look it up, they have, among other things, a section where people can apologize. 
it's quite remarkable the things that people confess there anonymously. In fact, some um, use jumbo when they type because they don't even want the words to be read, but they want the act of confessing. Here's just a sampling. I apologize to my recently deceased brother, who I love and miss so much, that I didn't visit you as often as perhaps I could have. I made the mistake of thinking we had more time, but that wasn't meant to be. I apologize to my parents and grandparents for being so self-absorbed as a kid and therefore oblivious to their needs, suffering, emotional states. I'm deeply sorry for the hurt that I caused in those who worked for me, for expecting perfection, for setting unrealistic standards, and for causing suffering in the process. My staff was glad that I posted that. <laughs> no, but for those who have managed people, it hurts sometimes when you look back and you think what you expected, right? There's an apology on the side of a babysitter who was unkind to the child in their care, who set them up for a joke so they could get a laugh. There's an apology from someone who was shut down, closed emotionally to the loved ones around them. There's lots of apologies among spouses, some of whom are still together, some of whom are not. And some of the apologies on the site are quite severe and quite specific. There's an apology for sexual abuse committed by a then confused teenager, ashamed of what they'd done. There's an apology of an immigrant woman who was a victim of childhood sexual abuse herself, who in her own words was, quote, not strong enough to handle things when her oldest son was diagnosed with anxiety and panic attacks and in her own words again turned to some poor choices. That woman, along with a fair number of the other people who apologize, also apologized to herself, which was an interesting phenomenon on the site. People apologizing to themselves, either for the pain that they endured at the hands of others, or that they inflicted on themselves, or just that life was so hard, or they were so hard on themselves for not being who they thought they were supposed to be. It's a quite astounding display of vulnerability and self-reflection. I wonder what you would put down were you to participate. What, what would you apologize for? And what would you expect, what would you yearn for the response to be? Would you crave the punishment as another way of inflicting shame? Or would you receive mercy or grace with open arms that are surrounding you? On the surface, it sounds like the apology page is all one big yearning for mercy and grace. But if you listen carefully, that misses half the message. It's actually a yearning for both candles. We apologize because we recognize there is a standard that we're called to and we want to live up to. And when we fail, if our expectations are appropriate, we know that we failed a, a just standard of, of living and how we should treat one another. It's a yearning to have those boundaries actually reinforced in our collective life. 
even as it's also a yearning to be received gently and graciously when inevitably we fall short. But the two hold together. So perhaps in the end, the Lutherans of all people, Lutherans, I think they wear white robes. Ugh. They were on to something. Law and gospel, it takes light from both of those candles, love in those two forms to provide enough illumination to read the divine liturgy that we call life. Amen.
so that they may make good, productive, and wise decisions concerning the various uses of these offerings. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There's a lot happening in the life of this beloved community, and I hope you take the time to check out your e-news and your bulletin and the website so you can figure out where you can plug in more deeply to the congregation, which will be a blessing to you and will certainly be a blessing to your neighbor. I want to highlight just a couple. We've already mentioned today more than once the in-gathering meal after this. It's provided for you, so you needn't have brought anything but yourselves. The Congregational Life Committee, as well as some extra volunteers, have been helping out, working for hours now in the other building, getting that ready. So please offer them your thanks. And if that looks like fun to you, uh, maybe consider joining them in their efforts. They're sort of the party committee around here. But just uh, through into the next building, the community building, you can go through and uh, receive some uh, a nice meal that you can eat outside or inside, wherever your comfort level is there. We'd love to see you there. Uh, as part of that, Bev Alexander, Bev's in the back in the corner, she's waving right now, she is going to be taking pictures. One of the hopes is that we can populate the member database, really member and friend database, those who've been attending regularly, on the website, which you all have access to, password is Moses10, it's not a secret, with as many pictures associated with profiles as possible. So that when you hear someone's name, you can say, oh, who is that person? You can go and look them up. Unfortunately, the software is rather limited. And so if any of you have tried it, uploading a picture yourself is not the simplest of procedures. So we're hoping to do a couple of things. One, do that for you when necessary. And two, just encourage you to do it yourselves. And we will actually have an instruction book that we can send you step-by-step -step with pictures about how to do it. So any, any of us can do it if you can follow directions. Ooh, bad day to say that. Um, but in any event, to kind of spark that, Bev is going to be taking pictures today in the garden. So if you'd like to come out, you take your picture, write your name down, and we can help you get your picture located or loaded up for your profile. She may also come through looking for folks who want to do it who haven't gone out to the garden. But I'd love it if you just take 30 seconds and go out and do that. Yes? It is possible, hallelujah, yeah. Tracy in the office is literally, in the same way if you're one of the sound recorders, there's a booklet and every page is a picture of the screen with arrows, we have one of those for you. So you can do it, but we want to encourage you to do that. It helps us get to know one another. On the getting to know one another better note, just a reminder as we're coming back again, wear your name tags if you have it, if you're a member or friend of the congregation. Uh, if it's your first time, there's, I think there's a sign-in place where you can make a temporary name tag, and uh, if you start coming regularly, even if you haven't yet joined and you'd like a name tag, we'll give it to you. Happy to do that. We want you to be able to connect by name. And with that, um, oh, I should say too, uh, the meal will start right after the service, but I promise you, if you wait, well, I don't know if I should promise, but if you wait until the postlude's over, they won't run out of food. And having heard the postlude at the first service, you might be tempted to do that. If you've never noticed, Patty often picks a composer for the week. And her three pieces throughout the service move through the catalog of the person. So if you've enjoyed the first two pieces, I know you'll enjoy the final one. And with that, our closing hymn is number 475.
And now as you go from this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit go with you this day and every day. Amen. Thank you.